Brethren, the title of my sermon today is The Beauty of Repetition, and I've chosen three texts to speak from today. I I hope that means that we're not going to have three sermon-length expositions of those three texts. That would be a long day. I'm going to truncate that into one sermon today. But those three texts are Genesis 8, 20 through 22, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, and then Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. If you would like to follow along, you may do so. If you want to just listen as I'm going to be going from one text to the next, uh, you may do that as well. Let's hear again the very word of God, beginning with Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And from Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we look into your word regarding those things that you delight in, that you've revealed to us, your creatures, those whom you have created to have dominion over the earth, to fill it and to subdue it, all the creatures that are on the earth, the whole world. We pray, Father, that as we look into these passages and understand the repetition that is here, that you would goad us to love and good works, that we would take delight in being faithful to you and repeating that again and again each day. And we ask this in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. Well, brethren, today a new year has begun. The year of our Lord 2016 has passed away, and the Lord's year 2017 is upon us. Not much is different from 2016. 
The temperatures are pretty much the same today as they were yesterday. Um, and despite that, I suspect uh, uh, they will re- remain that way, uh, even though some would have us believe that uh, the globe is warming at alarming rates. The cessation of time last year was nearly identical to the previous year, except for a slight difference. I don't know if you know this, but an additional second was added to 2016 so that our timekeeping devices would continue to be accurate. Did you change your clocks to add that extra second? The seasons have come and gone just as they have for many millennia. The days of the week have not changed despite the futile efforts of men at times to renumber the days of the week. And yes, that did happen during the French Revolution. Um, Don't know if you knew that, but it did. And throughout creation, repetition seems to be everywhere. The rising of the sun to its setting is the same and is recorded to the very second at the winter and summer solstices. The gestation of life cycles have not changed from species to species since the dawning of creation. Just as there is only but slight variations in species from the beginning of creation, they too repeat themselves. Our ability to count has not changed, but the speed at which we count has exponentially increased and continues to increase in binary code. The very practice of reducing information to digital processing is based on presuppositions of repetition. If we could not replicate the means by which we store digital information, we could not reuse it again. So computerization is at its core based on repetition. Recently, I was struck by a long quote from G.K. Chesterton, the late 19th and early 20th century Christian author and philosopher. He made the observation that even children are image bearers of God. Little children are image bearers of God. We don't seem to think about that, but he gives an example of why he says that that I think is very compelling. Consider a child whose parents play with them and then the parents do something that the child particularly enjoys. It could be bouncing on the knee or playing a particular game or maybe singing a particular song. And when the parent finishes, the child who has enjoyed that particular activity will often cry out, do it again, do it again. Now I see older adults and, children and uh, parents smiling. Younger children, you may not have witnessed that yet. It will happen. But often, children, when pleased with a particular activity, cry out, do it again, do it again. So the parent rehearses the activity again. And again, when the activity concludes, the child cries out, do it again. Often that child will not grow tired of the activity before the parent. Sometimes the parent finally has to say, that's it, it's over, we'll do it again later. Is that not the case with our God? How often in his sovereign decree does God cry out, do it again? Doesn't that happen every single day for the rising of the sun? Doesn't God decree each morning, do it again? What about the setting of the sun? Doesn't God say, do it again? How many of you enjoy watching the setting of the sun, whether over a mountain range or on a calm sea, 
And how many of you, when you're on vacation, try to replicate that experience over and over again? In other words, you're saying to God by your actions, do it again. Examples of repetition permeate our existence, and I believe this is true because of the confluence of several attributes of God. And two of those attributes of God are His immutability, which is described in Malachi 3.6. I am God, I do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. And his attribute of orderliness. The phrase, quote, in order, that phrase, in order, appears 53 times in the Scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew 12.44, then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes... He finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And, and the Apostle Paul even speaks to that. Doesn't he tell us in, the, in his epistle, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, that we're supposed to do all things decently and in order? Well, that's a reflection of God himself. That's who God is, an orderly God. That combined with God's immutability as well as several other attributes mercy, grace, things that I've not mentioned, all culminate in this repetition that we see in his creation over and over again. It is the very notion of orderliness and repetition that the faithful man or woman of God embraces the life that he has been recreated in. At the same time as the faithful man and woman of God embraces that orderly repetition, he or she also brings that orderliness into the changing circumstances of his or her own life. Things change, don't they? Yet some things repeat themselves over and over again. The godly man and woman brings that orderliness, that att- those attributes of God, into ever-changing circumstances. Godly orderliness combined with changing circumstances and opportunities is the essence of wisdom and discernment. Godly orderliness with changing circumstances and opportunities is the application of wisdom and discernment. The confluence of orderliness to changing circumstances with wisdom and discernment produces fruit. And this is how God has ordered His creation. We see this in these three passages. We have read three passages from the Scriptures that express God's orderliness in His creation and how that orderliness relates to our honoring Him. First, following the deluge of God in the days of Noah, God established a covenant with Noah. A covenant with Him, His family, and the whole of creation. And one aspect of that covenant is the progressive seasons of time on earth. In that chapter, chapter 8, verse 22, while the earth remains, the Bible says, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Shall not cease. Next year, will there be a winter and a summer? Yes. Will there be a seed time and a harvest? Yes. Will there be day after day, night and day? each and every day in its turn, each and every night in its turn. Will that be the same next year? Yes. Why? Because God has declared it. It will not change. 
Absent God's decree, the seasons we enjoy would not exist. And God is saying to His creation, do it again. God delights in seeing these things over and over again. And we, who are to be image bearers of Him, are to delight in them as well. Now, I understand we're in the winter, and I understand people from the great white north who have moved to this balmy southern climate, and there's just a few of you here, <laughs> may, may, not, may not despise the, the great white north uh, any longer because it's not as cold and it's not as white <laughs> here. Of course, if you've been here any length of time, you understand that ice is our curse. We get a lot of it here. And uh, ugly snow, dirty snow, that makes the roads treacherous and things of that nature. But it's going to happen again next year and the year afterward and the year afterward. Some of you are from warmer climates where the changes are far more subtle. They're not as dramatic as we have in the north. And some people are from climates on the, on the equator where there is virtually no change. But, but seed time and harvest comes and goes, and it goes at a much, rapid, much more rapid pace. At the equator, there are many seed times and harvests, where in the north, as we are, there typically is one seed time and one harvest. Yet, they come in progression because God says, do it again. God's decree in the seasons relates to fruitfulness. And this is further emphasized when God established the feast days of the Old Covenant. There were three primary feasts in the Old Covenant. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Firstfruits, and the Feast of Harvest, or Ingathering. And we read this in Exodus 23, beginning in verse 14. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, and you shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the, fir- the fruit of your labors from the field. Notice, brethren, that all three feasts were to be annual feasts, do it again, and to be replicated each and every year. Why? Because God made seed time and harvest each and every year. And He wants us to be fruitful. Here again, we see God saying to His people, be fruitful and do it again. I want to see it happen again. All three feasts deal with fruitfulness. Obviously, the Feast of first fruits and the Feast of Ingathering are closely tied with, with uh, fruitfulness. But what about the Feast of Passover? Brethren, the, pe- the Feast of Passover is that feast whereby we honor God and His provision to annihilate the greatest threat to fruitfulness. That is sin. Absent the overthrowing of sin and death, fruitfulness cannot be realized in its fullness. God is a forgiving God, and He forgives sin. And at that feast, the passing over of judgment due to men because of the blood of the land, the lamb that was placed on the doorpost and lintel, God passed over that His people might be fruitful 
and not be children of his wrath. And that is why I believe the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the creation has groaned until now, awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was cursed after Adam's fall, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he turned back the curse and overthrew it on the cross and at his resurrection. He has come to overthrow the, the, the consequences of sin and death, establishing a kingdom of men and women whose fruitfulness will push back the curse until Christ's return. This is in addition to the Sabbath day that's spoken of in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, which we read earlier. It too is tied to fruitfulness. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Lord's. In it you shall do no work. And here God provides a day of rest from our labors that we may be refreshed in order to do what? Do it again. Be fruitful again. And to take up the work he's given our hands to do that next week. So where do we practice this this repetitious fruitfulness and how do we practice it? I believe God has established three institutions in which we are to pursue fruitfulness. Three offices or callings by which we are to pursue repetitious fruitfulness and one dominion mandate by which we are to pursue this repetitious fruitfulness. And before I touch on those, I want to warn us of a certain repetition that leads to destruction and death. God tells us that when we are given to our sin repetitiously, we are moving headlong toward destruction. See, men... Men and women, as sinners, we turn good things upside down all the time. We turn them on their heads. God has taught us repetition. You, some of you bathe in the evenings, some in the mornings, and you do it every day, don't you? And we all know when you don't do it. But that's a repetition that we build into our lives, right? If we build sin into our lives repetitiously is turning the notion of repetition on its head, the good things that God gives us to do over and over again. If we embrace sin that way, we are spiraling into destruction, much like as when I preached through First um, uh, Samuel, much like uh, King Saul spiraled into destruction, his own destruction, until his life was lost because of his unfaithfulness. That's what happens when we repetitiously do the things that we ought not to do. God tells us that when we are given to our sin repetitiously, we're moving headlong toward destruction. And there's an example in Acts chapter 8 of a man who seemingly is trying to have it both ways, be faithful to God, and yet is given to many of his own sins. His name is Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8 was one, one man who did this. And in verse, verses, uh, beginning in verse 13 in chapter 8, Simon believed in the Lord Jesus and was baptized, the Scriptures tell us. Yet, the vestiges of sin remained in Simon, and he endeavored to purchase apostolic powers. And uh, there's a, uh, that's called simony, or simony. Sometimes it's referred to as simony. 
which plagued, has plagued the church throughout the centuries for, uh, in many different places and in many different ways. But Peter confronts Simon in Acts 8.20 and following with these words. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. He was trying to, to purchase the abilities of the apostles that he too could conjure up things as the apostles did healings and, and, uh, and various things that the apostles were doing. And he tried to do this with money. Peter says, You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Here's a man who repetitiously was holding on to that sin, And he was spiraling downward because of it. And Peter is calling him to repent, that God may put him into the repetitions of righteousness. Though Simon believed, his heart was still filled with iniquity and he was poisoned by bitterness. Each of us must guard ourselves against the repetition of sin. We have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. We are no longer to be slaves to sin, but are to be filled with the Spirit, the Scriptures teach us that we might bear much fruit. Now God has established the family, the church, and the state as institutions in which we are to act as overcomers of sin and death. We are to be prophets, priests, and kings in those areas of influence that God has placed us. Some will have more authority in family than others. Similarly, some will have more authority in the church and state than others. But in each circumstance we find ourselves, we are to act by faith and to do so repetitiously for the honor of God. That is what faithfulness means, to repetitiously act in righteousness. Now consider that portion of Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 that I read earlier. Think about repetition with regard to this. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. These four living creatures, that's all they do. Day and night, ceaselessly saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They were created for this purpose. No doubt they could not conceive of doing anything else. In their minds, what greater thing could they do than to surround the throne of God and ceaselessly proclaim the glory of God's being? That's why they were created, and they faithfully and ceaselessly do it. And I suspect they joy in it. Now to us, that seems almost... Impossible. 
How could you do the same thing day and night for eternity and not grow tired of it? Well, they were created to do that. And they understand that. And they delight in it. And their example is for us an example of how we are to approach the dominion mandate that we have been given, that we were created to execute. The purpose for which we exist is encapsulated in the dominion mandate, which reads, Then God blessed them. This is at creation, Genesis 1.28. And God said to them, this is Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's what we're to delight in. That's the thing that we're to do ceaselessly and to put our minds and our hearts and our hands to doing. Not with grumbling and complaining, but like the four living creatures that surround the throne of God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We are to ceaselessly, repetitiously do the dominion mandate. And on this day, January 1st, a new year begins. It's time to do it again. Let us resolve to be repetitious fruit bearers. We're going to bear fruit again this year. We're going to build on what we did before, and we're going to bear more fruit. We're going to cut away the chaff, as we'll hear uh, as I read some scriptures during the, the communion time. We're going to cut away chaff, and we're going to burn it, because it's been unfruitful, but just like fruit-bearing trees have to be pruned that they may bear more fruit, so what must we do it in our own lives? We have to cut away the things that are obscuring the fruit that we might bear more fruit. Let us resolve to be repetitious fruit-bearers. Let us build on that which has gone before with wisdom and discernment, faithfully honoring God with righteousness each day that lays before us for his glory and the good of his kingdom. So brethren, this is my call to you this year. Do it again. Let's pray.